Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. This wonderful Thursday morning. Getting a little chilly in the nation's capital, but the sun is up. I'm up, you're up, everything is great this morning. And we want to talk about politics today. And politics, uh, you know, I heard a great definition of politics. And if I had heard this definition and believed that I may have ventured into politics, politics are a group of people getting together to solve community problems. Boy, would that be great if that's what uh, the Democrats and the Republicans and the independents and the Green parties and all of these parties and people that get together, if everybody got together to solve community problems, if that's what politics was about. You know, I think at the at the root of the, the, the issues, when you listen to the debate, you will hear things that talks about economic inequality as a community problem, incarceration as a, the high rate of incarceration, particularly as it relates to African-American men as a community problem, and if the politicians were about trying to solve those problems and that's what they were doing, then I think we would all, that the politics, the Democrats and Republicans and the House and the Senate and the president uh, would all get much better poll ratings. People would give them a higher grade. They would get A's instead of CD's and F's. As most people think of politicians today, they end up gridlocking and fighting each other as opposed to solving the problems, uh, shutting down the government, economics going down, economy going down, politics, definition, people coming together to solve community problems. And what I've said to you, and you may ask the question, well, Vernon, what does this have to do with cooperatives? Well, I've said to you over and over again, I think the first, the first month that we were working here, October it was very close to that first month two years ago that I had a guest on, Papa Sin from Senegal. And he said that co-ops are formed to solve community problems. Oh, hey, look, co-ops are formed to solve community problems. And he said, second to that, if there are no community problems, there's no need for co-ops. So if politicians and politics are people coming together to form community problems, uh, that's exactly what co-ops do. That's why they are formed. So we want to talk about politics today to see if we could talk about forming co-ops or work co-ops are formed to solve different community problems. And maybe we could get the politicians if that's really what they are about. And if that's why they get hired, that's why they run and then get elected just to solve community problems. Then perhaps they would be more interested in forming cooperatives because we would be in sync. Forming cooperatives are formed to solve community problems. 
And if politicians go into politics to solve community problems, then we have a natural synergistic mission. We both, cooperatives and politicians, we want to solve community problems. Got to tell you, though, as I got introduced to politics in college, or even before that when my mom and dad and grandfather would go voting, it didn't seem that people got into politics to solve problems, to get into politics to help themselves economically, power, or help their friends and family to get money or power. And I think too often that's the reason that people go into politics. But there are good politicians who go into politics to solve community problems. So we could name them, but let's write, that's the ones that I want to look for as we look at the Democrats and Republicans that are voting, that are running for president. Are they in the game to solve community problems or are they in the game for some other reasons? Power for power's sake, to help increase their ego or to help get more money or to help their friends get more money or to create policies and procedures and tax laws so that they could have more money and on and on and on and on. Why do people go into politics? And if they go into politics to solve community problems, then those are the people that I would want to vote for and I would think that you would also. So what do we have? We have cooperatives are formed to solve community problems and politics is when people come together to solve community problems. So let's look at the seven cooperative principles. The seven cooperative principles, the first one is volunteer and open membership. Volunteer and open membership. You know, in a democratic debate, they talk about Black Lives Matter. And I like four of the five responses. One of them I did not like. But they all talked about that Black Lives do matter, and we have to put that out. We have to focus on Black Lives Matter because it is a community problem when Black parents or grandparents like myself, when our children go out the door for school. And I had the pleasure of seeing four of my grandchildren go out to school this morning. The question will, will they come home this evening or will they be shot down? Huge question that every Black parent, my parents, would talk to us about. How to respond when a white person asks you something. And when I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia, there was still the colored signs, colored drinking fountains and colored bathrooms and whites. And I remember getting scolded one day because I went to the white water fountain. <clears throat> Hindsight is, you know, my parents would rather me get scolding from them than to perhaps get killed from a white person just because I drank out of the fountain the wrong fountain in those days. But what I like about cooperatives and volunteer and open membership, it doesn't make a difference about your race or your gender or your age, your religious background. or It just doesn't make any difference. It is volunteer and open membership. And one of the things that was talked about more with the Democrats, the debates, and I've seen with the Republican debates, and that is spreading out the wealth. Economic inequality exists in the U.S. You've got the one percenters that uh, they get like 60% of the income each year. 60% of the new income goes to one percenters. 99% of the population gets 40% of the new income. That's constant, this constant battle, which has been in existence for quite, quite some time, the constant battle between those people that have 
money, capital, in those people that don't have money and all they have to bring to the table is labor. So this constant battle between money and labor. The people that have money, those folks that are capitalists, they have money and they want to make more return on investment. And I've talked to this group a lot on about in the business school, getting your master's, the main criteria, the main thing that was discussed when you're making a decision in business is what is the maximum rate of return for the investor? Not what's best for the employees or necessarily even best for the customer, but what would give you the maximum rate of return? And that's why we see too often uh, politicians and business people people making short-term decisions that may be bad for the economy, bad for the country over the long term, long term, maybe a year or two, five, 10, 20 years out, maybe bad for the economy or the environment. But they'll make those decisions because for the short term, they get a better return for their investors. So here we go with that for cooperatives, you have volunteer and open membership. The second principle is democratic member control. That fits right in with our democracy. The thing about the democratic member control, though, is one member, one vote. Doesn't make any difference how much money you have. Doesn't make any big difference of how much power you have. But everybody has, every member has one vote. So that you get the people making the decisions. It, it was discussed, the, the whole idea of this, where people can buy politicians. In the U.S. right now, with these huge PACs, people can put in millions and millions of dollars to buy the politicians, and if they buy the politician, the politician is expected to vote on things that's in their, be in their best interest. And that's the one percenters again, those that have much money. So in, in a co-op, it's like I would like for our U.S. government to be. In a co-op is one member, one vote. We're in the U.S. government right now. You have money, you get more power. You get more congresspeople, senators, and maybe even a president. So that those presidents and those senators and those congresspeople, and, and when they elect Supreme Court justices or appoint Supreme Court of justices, they may appoint those that will favor capitalist capitalists not necessarily capitalism, but capitalists, those that have money, so that everybody would make decisions that is best for those that have the most money. Because as we've talked about before, those with the most money seem like they're always trying to get more. Why? I don't understand. They already have more than they need. If you've got a billion dollars, we talked about that, a billion dollars at 4% interest, a billion dollars at 10% interest. If they can get 10% on their billion, that's $100 million a year. If they get 4% return, that's $40 million a year. Cannot even imagine living on $40 million a year. So democratic member control is what I like in co-ops. One member, one vote. And we're going to take our first break. If you have any questions, you can call in at one 800 450 1-800-450-7876. And we're going to talk about member economic participation when we come back. We'll be right back. Don't touch that down. Fourteen fifty WOL.
Information is power. That's why WOL is a great partner for this show. Information is power, and the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program so that you can get the information. When if you use that information, you can get the power to control your own destiny. You can get the power to increase your wealth. You can get power to increase not only financial wealth but social wealth so that you can get governments working for you. That's one of the huge things that is learned in the cooperative world with this one member, one vote. And and the fifth principle, which we'll talk more about later, and that is education, training, and information. The more knowledge you can get, the more information you have at your fingertips, the better decisions you can make, the more informed decisions you can make. And if you can make better and better decisions, then you'll have a better and better life. This is how you can control your destiny. Knowledge, putting that knowledge to work, making great decisions for yourself and your family and your community, the community in and around Washington, D.C., the community in your particular state, the community of the United States of America, the community of, of the Americas, and the world. And if we keep going further and further out, is this galaxy and the galaxies that exist as we're finding out that this go on and on and on and on. We have no idea where they may end. But the better the more information you have, the better decisions you can make for yourself, your family, and your community. So we were talking about this Democratic member control, one member, one vote. And so I would love to see Citizens United repealed. That's one of the things that the Democrats talked about in their debate because the Citizens United gives people the right to put in more and more and more and more money. The more money you have, the more you can put in. So now we want to talk about member economic participation. Senator Hillary Clinton talked about when her opening remarks the other night. She said that more of the profit should go to the workers who earn it. They're the ones that create the profit, their work, their labor. It takes the capital and the labor to make the profits. It takes the smarts of the people that work there. It takes the labor of the people that work there. And it takes some capital. It takes all of that, the mixing in a bowl, to create the business, create the products, to create the services, so that profits can be made or surpluses. In the cooperative world, we talk about surplus. More money is brought in than is spent in any given time frame. And if you have more money coming in than money going out, you end up with surpluses or profits. And I would say to you, that you cannot sustain a business unless you have more money coming in than going out. I don't care if you call yourself a nonprofit, for profit, care what label you put on yourself, you will not be able to sustain yourself unless you have more coming in and going out. Now, when we talk about members' economic participation, again, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said that she would like to see more money going to the workers, more of the profit going to the workers. Now, what I like are worker cooperatives. Worker cooperatives, the business is owned and controlled by the workers. And the workers make the decisions. They decide on policies. As long as the policies are in that uh, agree with the laws of the land, state laws, federal laws, then they can create policies within that framework. So they can say if there's surplus, if there's profits, 
then this is how we're going to divvy up the profits. We want to keep so much in the business for growth. We're going to give so much away because concern for community is the seventh principle. We're going to talk more about that one. So, and we're going to keep some of it for the members. I also like that, like in food co-ops, you get a bigger percentage of the dividend based on how much money you spend in the business, in the food co-op. The more you spend, the larger dividend. In a worker co-op, the more hours you work, the more you may get. So there are different formulas to decide how you would give the dividend, but it's not based on how much capital you have, how much money you put into the business. So I like the worker co-op, and I would love for the Honorable Hillary Clinton to say not only she would like to see more profits divided up with the workers in a capitalistic model, but she would like to see more worker cooperatives because she would get that goal within that. And not only that, with the autonomy and independence, it's the fourth principle. With the autonomy and independence, you would also find that people have to have more knowledge in order to exercise this autonomy and independence. Again, the more knowledge they have, the better decisions they make. And over and over again, we've had people on the program that says, what one of the byproducts of cooperatives is that once people understand, once the co-op member understands how the democratic system works in their business, in their own company, then you'll find that more and more people will go out and get on school boards. They'll run for school boards because they know that their voice matters, or they will run for city council, or they'll run for the Senate or the House in their particular state or the federal level. So you get people participating more and more and more in the political system because they know in the co-op world, the co-ops are formed to solve community problems, and they will go into politics to solve community problems, education, and other problems at large. So co-ops end up feeding in people into the uh, political system, and that's people that have the passion for solving community problems. One of the things that I like about co-ops is that, and this is what first attracted me to them as I started managing housing co-ops, what attracted me to them was people made decisions in this autonomy and independence. They made decisions that was best for the business, was best for the housing co-op, was best for the food co-op, was best for the credit union, was best for whether that worker cooperative is equal exchange. We've had them on. There was a consumer cooperative in Madison, Wisconsin, we had on where they were. It was a um, clinic, a health clinic, where it was owned by the patients, owned and controlled by the patients. And the patients made those decisions. The patients were the ones that had the autonomy and the independence. So you would get a clinic in that case where the, the, all of the processes and the systems are put in there so that it would give the patient the best results, the best health in this case. That's the product for that particular business. So I like these co-ops because I would watch how decisions were being made by everyday people. When I say that, I mean they're not necessarily college degreed. 
and it may you may have some people on the boards that are some people that are not they they may not in most cases particularly when they were limited equity co-ops that's affordable co-ops affordable housing uh, they they may not have much wealth coming in they may be in the bottom the low or mid-income folks so they made great decisions though they got in they got the knowledge they made the transition from a attitude from a tenant to an owner and that is a transition everybody doesn't make that transition but that attitudinal transition that now we own it that means that they took better care of it they they made decisions that were best for the business for the property or for the credit union or whatever the particular business was so you end up getting some of the things that i i heard in the the political debates now, we've talked a lot about this education, training, and information because what what also struck me a lot about um, these co-ops that I was managing, these housing co-ops that I was managing and still do, that this education, training, and information was critical. People had to get the knowledge. And when these f- principles were first founded in the 1840s in England, they had education that was like our whole education system, how you rewrite arithmetic, and then how do you govern yourself. So we're going to come back. We're going to take our second break, and we're going to talk about this debt-free college that the Democrats talked a lot about, and President Obama's trying to get free community colleges so people can go to community colleges free. And So that was debated a lot a couple nights ago with the Democrats of how you get free education to free college education to Americans. We'll be right back. We're going to take a break to get the weather and the traffic news, and then we'll come back and talk about this education training and information and and looking at the politics of the United States and the politics of the cooperative. Please don't touch the dial. Okay, so we're not yet (laughs) ready for the break. So education, training, and information, that is the critical piece for this cooperative. The critical piece for cooperatives is where people get knowledge to make informed decisions. They get knowledge about themselves, about their coworkers, about the business, about the finances of the business, the profit and loss statements, the balance sheets, and how these play and how their decisions affect profit and loss statements so that they can see it and they end up wanting to make better decisions. And they will take their work home with them. This is what the owners do. You don't, you're not a nine-to-five person. You're always trying to figure out what is the best decision for the group. And you, with the autonomy and independence, it's on you. It's on the workers to figure this out. You know, it helps people to be mature adults and make really great decisions. Now we're going to take that break. <laughs> Fourteen fifty W O L. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks talking to you about cooperatives. You know, co-ops can be any business you can think of. Any business whatsoever could be a cooperative. Uh, cooperatives, if they're owned by the employees, owned and controlled, then it's a worker cooperative. And what's the major thing, as I've been working with the employees of Oaks Management, that's the company that I started some 22 years ago, 
what I've noticed is that it takes some time for people to go from employee to owner. That transition just doesn't happen overnight. We've been working on this, and we hired a trainer to come in and work with us. We've been working on it for nine months now, getting people the knowledge to make informed decisions and getting people to understand that now, with this autonomy and independence, it is their responsibility to make those decisions. And there will be some member economic participation, and we didn't talk a lot about that, but where the member's economic participation is, they have to put some money in. It may be take, they have to decide how people can put it in. That's what the individuals will do. And it may be that it will come out of their paycheck. It may be that they'll pay it over time. And how much it's going to be hasn't been decided, hasn't even been really talked about yet in this case. But also they'll get money out. And this economic inequality that was talked about at the Democratic debates, economic inequality. We have it here in the U.S., and it keeps getting worse. It keeps getting worse. That's a third reason I like co-ops, because it gives people a chance to create wealth. And again, I never believed that folks was going to give 40 acres in a mule coming out of the slavery and the African-American experience. Just never believed that as a kid. And now I know people are not going to go in their pockets, particularly it seems like the wealthy, the more of the money that they have, the more they want to hold on to it and more they want to get. So they're not going to give away. So how do we get it ourselves? Self-reliance. That's one of the values of the co-op. Self-responsibility. Creating self-worth, both financial and social, and feeling good about self. Oh, member economic participation one of the ways of solving this economic inequality is through cooperatives. I haven't seen another way, okay, because even those of us that went to an MBA, and I went to get my MBA because I was totally in, into capitalism, and I was only looking at it from a standpoint of how I could create wealth for me and my family, and uh, got a little bit, but it has eluded me a lot. And I think because my heart is in this cooperative world, this cooperative world, and I found out about seven years ago that, well, I figured out what I want to be when I grow up, and that is a cooperator, promoting cooperatives, developing cooperatives, teaching and getting other folks to teach about cooperatives and then donating whatever monies I have to donate. After tithes, I would donate those to cooperatives. So that's what I want to be when I grow up or I'm doing now as I'm getting grown at 68 years old, just got my birthday here, here not but too long ago, but before that, about seven years ago. So up to 60, I just said, whatever I do, I will do it as best I can. I strive for excellence, but not knowing until I got into this cooperative world, here's what I want to be. And I used to really uh, both respect and somehow couldn't understand people at you know, seven years old, 10 years old, say, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a college president, I want to fly planes. So some people knew what they wanted at a very early age. That was not me. So then we get we talked about autonomy and independence, education, training, and information. And, you know, the, the sixth principle is cooperation among cooperatives. And this is what's so different about the cooperative model and the capitalistic model. In capitalism, it's, a, it's more like dog-eat-dog. Dog. We're, we're very competitive. This capitalist model is 
I'm, I am trying to figure out how I can keep knowledge to myself. I'm trying to figure out how I can come in and take your clients or get your, uh, the knowledge that you have and patents or whatever, 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 so I can make more money. The greed is the problem. Now, greed by itself isn't a problem. The greed becomes a problem when folks try to take advantage over somebody else so that they can get more. Hold tax laws, and that was has been debated in the debates, the, both the Democratic and the Republican. But, but you know, this, this whole thing of economic inequality, that's built into our tax laws right now. Reagan, Bush's, the Republicans seem to have it that they have to help the rich get more money. And so they create tax laws where the wealthy pay a lot less taxes on a percentage basis than the everyday person. Mitt Romney, uh, there was some work done that look at how much taxes he paid versus his secretary. And she paid significantly more money on a percentage basis than he did. In dollar amount, he paid more, but in a percentage, so that he was able to take the money that he had, pay less taxes on a percentage basis, and he had more money to invest, so he had more money to invest, he could make more money. And this is what's going on. This is why the wealthy, the one percenters, can get now 57 to 60% of the, of the new money that's created, the new profit that's created each year, 57 to 60% of it, over half, goes to 1% of the population. This income inequality is huge because what it happens is that the population, 99% of the people, will make less and less and less and less money. Okay, So they make less and less and less and less money. You have more and more and more people going to poverty, and that turns out to be the number one reasons for revolutions. I'm talking about the armed up resistance revolutions when you have the masses of the people in poverty. And that's where the U.S. is headed if we don't make some changes. That's why this this next vote is extremely, every every election is extremely important. That's why it's get get involved and learn, listening to debates, read the, read the papers, read, the, go and Google and find out what's going on and decide who is going to be best for you. Who do you want to put in that would create the tax laws that would help to distribute the the profits, the new monies that's made in our economy each year, how can we get that money to be spread out more to the laborers, more to the everyday person than to the wealthy? You know, I don't, I've never seen myself as a preacher, but I'm getting kind of hot up in here because when you look at it and you look at how much money goes to the wealthy and you look at the policies that have been created, the tax policies, you know, I, I believe when, uh, Jesus said, give Caesar what is due to Caesar. Pay your taxes. He said that, and I, 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 I totally agree with that. Boy, but it's so unfair, and I don't really like that word because life seems to be unfair in a lot of places. But this one is a man-made unfairness in the U.S. system. So get in, figure out who you may want to vote for that would have the best chances of changing, that have the desire to change those tax laws and then have the best chances to have the, the, the skill set, the experience to change those laws back to where the wealthy pay the same percentage. Mitt Romney would pay the same percentage as his secretary. Or maybe the secretary could, everyday people could even pay less if they were paying more. Still could be the same, 
but raise up how much they pay and lower. Because again, they're making 60% of the new money of the profits they're getting. And then they pay a lesser percentage on that than the 40% that all the rest of us pay. Education, training, this member's economic participation and how we can solve this economic inequality. Now, this debt-free college, President Obama has talked about for a year or two now, trying to get these community colleges where people don't have to pay for them. And most people that go to community colleges are everyday people. And they end up with lots and lots of debt, which was talked about in the previous segment of the show before I came on, was how much debt people have when they come out of school. Now, I had a lot, but it's been amazing to me what my children and in-law children have, daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws, what they have had by the time they get a master's or or a law degree or a Ph.D., hundreds, thousands of dollars. I mean, it's just phenomenally amazing, and it takes them forever to pay it back, ever, <laughs> forever to pay it back. So I, I really like this debt-free colleges. Democrats talked about it the other night also. Wall Street reform, banking regulations, Wall Street reform to changes inequality, this equity inequality to get the bankers and the investment bankers to play on a different field that they go to jail when they make mistakes, particularly when they're conscious mistakes. And they have to know the impact it's going to make on the economy and the everyday person like this, what happened in 08. You look at in 08, the number of people that lost wealth and African-Americans lost so much wealth and because they lost their homes, which was the biggest asset that we have. If we have assets, it's normally in our home. And so many of us lost it. We lost that equity. We took a huge drop in financial wealth. African-American community in the way who made money going up. That's when we were making all of these loans that we couldn't afford and we could afford them to buy in. But when that interest rate hit, that variable rate hit five years, seven years, three years out, then we couldn't afford the payments and we lost it. They made money every time they, they did one of these loans. That's why they did the loan so they could make money. Then on the way down, you get all of these houses and foreclosure. Who do you think made them? I mean, what was interesting is that HUD and FDA, you could not even see the list of the houses, let alone buy them, unless you put up, it was either $150,000 or $250,000. You had to put up in order to see the loan, the list of the mortgages. So they created that the people that had the money were the ones that bought the houses. Got it? They made money on the way up, and they made money on the way down. Who lost both ways? We did. We the people. We lost the money. So we've got to get this system in place where we can get this equality, where we can have, just real quick, real quick, when we had the people online for the credit unions, they didn't make those crazy loans. The housing co-ops did not lose, not because of those kinds of loans. The few that lost in Michigan and California, they lost because that whole economy went down. So people lost their jobs and they couldn't pay their their monthly co-op fees. And so the co-ops found themselves in trouble. But they didn't get in trouble because they made these these kinds of risky loans. Cooperators, when they're working together for the benefit of the good of the group, they saw long-term what was best, but what could they do? So they didn't make these short-term, low-interest loans. You know, uh, love this co-ops. I love to see more and more people get in them. If you go to NC 
ncba.coop to get information. You can go to ncba.coop. You can go to federation.coop to get information about how you start co-ops, U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops. Taking our last break for the day, and we're coming back to talk about cooperation among cooperatives and concern for a community and continue talking about the politics. Please don't touch your dial. We'll be right back. Fourteen fifty. Information is power. Yes, 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 yes. We talked about any business you can think of could be a cooperative, and we said that if the employees own the business, it's a worker cooperative. But if the business is owned by the people that uses the product or services, then it's called a consumer cooperative. We've talked about several of those, uh, housing co-ops, consumer cooperatives, credit unions, financial institutions. We talked about the health clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, where the patients own it, the patients that use the facilities, they own it. It's a consumer cooperative. So you can get worker cooperatives or consumer cooperatives, and sometimes the organization, for instance, food co-ops could be either a worker cooperative or it could be a consumer cooperative, and sometimes they're mixed. They can have both. Food cooperative or any other cooperative for that matter could be owned by the consumers and uh, the employees have different sort of stock. So we also have a couple other forms of cooperatives. If We've seen them a lot in the farmer world where the farmers will come together and pool their resources to buy what they need, a purchasing cooperative. They could buy seed, they could buy gas, they could buy fertilizer, they could buy research about whatever they need and they can get, because they would buy in volume, they can get a better product at a lower price. And because they're working together, they can also look at what are, what are lessons learned? What are uh, uh, best ways of doing of farming? And so that the people, and we've had some folks on the program that talked about how farmers in different parts of the world, whether it's Africa or Latin America or here in the U S they would learn how to farm better get better crops, better irrigation, and so forth, working together, purchasing. Uh, and seed turns out to be one of the critical pieces. I mean, you can't get good collard greens without having good seeds. You just can't get it. So the other form of a cooperative, if you got the good collard greens or tomatoes or potatoes or corn, whatever you're producing, wheat, that if uh, you are the individual farmer, particularly the small farmer, they are at the whim of everything and everybody, not only the weather, but the buying patterns of perhaps larger companies that are buying it, and they may want to get them down in their price. So smaller farmers would come together, and then they'll have a marketing cooperative so that they will negotiate with the, the larger purchasing people to get a better price, and they can get to different market and may be able to go and sell internationally where they would not have it open and available for them as individuals. So you find out that these co-ops can work in a lot of, a lot of different ways to help a community, a family, and then a community prosper, changing the, the, the sort of uh, economic inequality at different kinds of levels. I know that there have been people out there that would try to keep people poor because it stays under their, they can keep them under their finger and they can dictate to them. Too often, this is what happens happens in capitalism. 
when people get wealth, they want to keep people under them, and that's what caused slavery and all kinds of indentured servants and so forth through history. And now, in today's world, we may not see as much in the U.S., but there's all kinds of different ways that people would try to keep other people and groups of people under their thumb so that they can make money off of them. That's why Hillary Clinton said we got to find ways of getting profit to the workers who make the money. Yes, I totally agree. One way and one really great way is by creating co-ops. Now, cooperation among cooperatives. We started talking about that before the last break, and that is that what I have noticed with cooperatives is that people have a much friendlier environment, much more cooperative environment, okay, where people are helping each other. Cooperatives, as Chuck Snyder from the National Cooperative Bank said when he was on a program that first year, two years ago, was that cooperatives are nothing but people helping people, people helping people. So that when you get people helping people and you then you get, that's why the cooperative is formed, and then you get one cooperative, a, a credit union cooperative trying to help a housing cooperative, either where, particularly if it's a limited equity, where the credit union will make loans so that this member fee, which is sometimes as small as a normal security deposit, sometimes it may be larger, but if they don't have that down payment, but they have the cash flow in their jobs, particularly if two people working in a family, then they can pay their rent or their co-op fee, and they can pay back this loan. Sometimes the people in the cooperative don't have money to buy the computers or other things that they might need. So we want to get cooperatives, these credit unions, which are already working together with housing co-ops, and you get uh, food co-ops working with farming co-ops, and you get food co-ops selling to housing co-ops or other different kinds of co-ops and do different things that work together. It's also with sharing of the information. This number fifth one is knowledge, education, training, and information. Sharing of the knowledge. You get the cooperatives. When I go to different, like I was at the Federation of Southern Co-ops earlier this summer, you find that people there, 300 people, they're all sharing information. This is what I did so that my co-op works better. This is why we solved this problem. This is how we work better together. So they end up sharing data, not this competitiveness. Now, I'm sure there's some competitiveness. I'm sure there's some people that that's the only way they're going to work, whether in a cooperative or in a capitalistic model. But for the most part, my experience has been you get people helping each other, cooperation among cooperatives. How do you get this around the world? You know, in the um, end of the debates, we heard them both in the Republican and the Democratic debates. They talked about the Middle East conflict. They talked about Iran deal, Syria, Russia, China, particularly around environmental issues. They talked about the Iraqi war, Benghazi. Yet all different places around the world that, that people talked about. What I noticed in November of 2011 when I had the absolute pleasure of going to the UN for the first time, and the, the hall was full and then you had people in there from all of these different parts of the world that I've just talked about talking about how what was going on in their world as it relates to cooperative in their part of in Russia and China and uh, Venezuela, Argentina, India. People talking about this is what's going on in the cooperative world. And Dame Pauline Green, who's the president of the International Cooperative Alliance, when she was on the program, she said that on in their board, she had people from all these different parts of the world. They have people from all religious sects, not necessarily all, but different ones. And the same thing for political ideologies. 
you have different people from different parts of the world on the board, everybody with the common goal of these seven principles, this common goal of what can we do that's best for the people that's in this particular community, whatever this community is, what can we do together? How can we get the knowledge and information that we need so we can enhance this community? We can make sure that people are getting social wealth and financial wealth, that people are lifting themselves up. We can give them a hand by getting them some knowledge. We can give them a hand from, in a lot of places by getting some startup monies. We can give them a hand of showing them how they can raise capital when they need capital. But how do they do it? Again, nobody's going to give us 20 acres and a mule, but we can earn it. We can get it. We can work together. So maybe instead of 20 acres and a mule that the folks like in Albany, Alabama, that I've met at the Federation of Southern Co-ops in Epps, Alabama, Albany, Georgia, I'm sorry. They had 60,000 acres. They lost it in 80, 1985. They sued the government. They won. Now they have another farm. I don't remember how many acres it is. But by pulling together, and I, be, I would bet it's more than 40 acres per member that they have in their farm now. So working together, we can get it. Working together, we have a better chance of getting it. Working together, we have a better chance for it being successful. Most co-op businesses that are formed don't fail. I'd say 90 five or better, where when you're looking at the regular capitalistic model, you only get about 30% that succeed. Most fail within the first five years. So in the cooperative world, because of the knowledge, education, and training that's so fundamental, and because people are pooling, coming together, pooling their resources, both their money, their time, their talents, their networks, working with this group in Albany that's starting a Albany, Georgia, that's starting a food a bakery cooperative, 10 ladies in four counties. They're coming together and they all have different skill sets and they're figuring out how they can work together so they can have a business where that they can provide a service to their communities, make some money, share that money, and then do good with that money, both for their themselves, their families, and their community. And this is the, the, the last one is concerned for community. And most of what was talked about, particularly in the Democratic debates was basically concern for community, whether that's the environment, climate change, the huge incarceration problem and we needed reform, this whole thing on Black Lives Matter, sustainable energy, gun control. Those are all community issues and concern. And what I found out in the housing co-ops was that there was less crime in housing co-ops than in apartments. If you took a look at HUD-sponsored apartment buildings and HUD-sponsored Limited equity co-ops, you had a lot less crime. Why? Because people had social wealth. They knew how to work together, and they knew how to work with police departments and with their city council and so forth. They learned how to network and how to how to uh, know people and know how the systems work. So this whole concern for community, you'll see that's in the DNA of the cooperative. So that's why they work so well. That's why co-ops are so fundamental and why I love them so much. And when we look at the politics and the issues that politicians are really in fact coming together to solve community problems one way of doing that is by forming more and more co-ops getting the laws and the books in the land so we can form them and then getting the capitals with particular tax money so we can form the co-ops and solve community problems thank you so very much we'll be back next thursday to talk to you about everything cooperative until then have a wonderful wonderful week take care 
1450 WOL.